Welcome back to another episode of the Royals Farm Report Podcast. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How you doing today, man? Cold, Joel. I'm cold. There's an Arctic blast uh, headed through Kansas City. I was listening to 610 Sports Radio on the way home this afternoon, and uh, Carrington Harrison on the drive said something to the effect of, when they start naming the weather after Gatorade flavors, you're in trouble. So, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of three-degree temperatures. Um, I've got to make my way down south at some point. I'm headed down to spring training soon. So I'm ready to be done with the cold. I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for baseball. Um, but, but I digress. I say it was in the thirties here in Oklahoma, which was pretty cold for what it's been. It's been pretty mild here. I'm actually heading up to Kansas city to see my family this weekend with my wife and we're missing the cold by a couple days. And I'm pretty grateful for that. Cause I think it's gonna be like in the fifties this weekend. So it'll be a fun time. I'm excited. Uh, but we're Alex and I are excited as well. We are joined by uh, Vinny Pasquantino. He was a part of the Royals draft class last season, got drafted in the 11th round out of Old Dominion, had a fantastic season in Burlington. And we're excited to see what he's going to be doing in 2020. And that's why he's joining us tonight. Vinny, uh, thank you for joining us, man. We're really excited. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's cool that you guys asked me to do this. So. I'm excited. Absolutely. We're, we're trying to get as many players as we can on here before uh, the season starts. Obviously, then it's going to get really hectic for you guys. Obviously, you know, traveling and all that stuff. So and we wanted, you know, the, the sole purpose of this podcast, at least when Alex and I came up with the idea for it, was we want to give you guys a platform to for the, so the fans can get to know you. Obviously, uh, as this rebuild continues to go, we wanted, you know, our fans to be as excited as we can about guys that are coming through the system. And, you know, you're one of those guys that, uh, we think it'd be an under the radar guy that I think the fans really enjoy following over the next couple few years. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, let's hope so. <laughs> that would be nice, but uh, you know, yeah, again, just thanks for having me on here. No problem at all, man. Uh, we do appreciate you coming on. You know, you're drafted out of uh, Old Dominion last year, and as a uh, junior Old Dominion, you had a really good season. Uh, Kansas City came and got you in the 11th round. Uh, um, during that draft last June. Um, and then you proceeded to be one of the best hitters in the organization for the rest of the year. Um, among everybody that had 200 plate appearances, for those of you guys listening, Vinny had the third best uh, weighted runs created plus uh, of anybody in the entire organization with 200 plate appearances last year. Um, and for a, an organization who last, last year, uh, offense wasn't necessarily the um, silver lining of the system for the year, uh, Vinny, it's good to have, you know, bats that produce, uh, what, what can you tell us about your transition from old dominion, uh, to professional baseball last year, some big jumps you had to make big surprises. Maybe, um, it doesn't seem like there were too many difficulties that came your way, but what were some of those transitions you had to make and what was pro ball like for you, uh, in your rookie year last year, uh, in Burlington? I think it was just a lot of, uh, it was a lot of growing throughout the whole year, not just in the professional side, but at school too. Uh, the first half of the college season, I really, really struggled, um, really bad. I, I think I was hitting low two hundreds. I think closer to two hundred than uh, to two fifty at that point. And I think I had three home runs. And the second half of the year, something just clicked. I, I went from a leg kick to a toe tap, and that sort of is the big change that happened. That was able to help me start hitting better during the college season. You know. I went, you know, I had a good year, the second half of the college year, which is probably why I got drafted. I think I would, if I wouldn't have been 
numbers wise, as good as I was that second half, I'd probably be back at school right now, getting ready to start my season here in a few days. Um, I'm grateful for the second half of the season that I had with old dominion. And, you know, I got picked up by the Royals about a week later. I was, so we went straight to the spring training complex in Arizona. So I'm from Virginia. So I went from Virginia to Arizona and a week later I was back over on the East coast in North Carolina. And the season just kind of, you know, there was really no layoff from games. You just get thrown back into the fire, and I think that's what I needed to to keep going and keep hitting. And I got lucky in my first game. I hit two homers. A few games later, I hit another two homers, and it just kind of kept going from there. I mean, the second half of my professional first season was real similar to my college start. I, my average wasn't great at the beginning of the the of the Burlington season. And then it, as I got into it, I just felt like mentally as a hitter, I was growing and that's where hits started to happen. And I think what helped me get better throughout the season is, as I, is that I wasn't worried about my numbers. I worked real close with my hitting coach, Andy LaRoche, and we just worked hard on developing what I, what my approach is at the plate, at the plate and what I'm looking for. And the fact that, the way that I hit, I always think something's wrong with my swing. Whenever something's going not going right, I always blame it on my swing. And he kind of helped me realize that my swing is the same throughout the year. It's my mental approach that needs to get better to help me be a better hitter. So as the year went on, I think I finally got more confident in our plan that we had at the plate, which was essentially hit the ball hard. Do your job that's in front of you and hit the ball hard. And once that mindset kind of came to me, I wouldn't say it became easier, but it came, it became more process driven as opposed to results driven. And it's funny how when you stop worrying about the results and you just worry about the process, the results are more what you're looking for. So I think that's what it was all about for me. It was just worrying about the process, my routine that I do every day and how that'll carry along to the game. And that's, that was what helped me most uh, in my first professional season. It's interesting. You so, said- so you talk- oh, go ahead, Joel. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. You're good, man. Okay. Sorry. No, no worries. It's interesting you talk about process. You talk about approach. and You talk about what you're looking for. And if you hit a hard line drive to second base, don't worry about it. Process versus results. We had um, minor, Royals minor league hitting coordinator Drew Saylor on the podcast uh, last week. And he talked about, you know, developing a process, developing an approach at the plate and, and being, I don't know, more heady. But, but more like self-aware about what's going on at the plate, what your role is as a hitter, do your job, you know, breaking it down kind of back to the basics. Is that, is that something you think the Royals um, instilled in you kind of and, and, and harped on you as an organization when you got here? Is that something that, you know, you feel like you've always worked on and maybe just kind of got uh, amplified um, when you got drafted or, you know, do what what role did the Royals play in that that was maybe different uh, from your college years? So I think it's a little bit of both. I'd worked on it my whole life, but the Royals just, you know, they really harp on it. And I think that helps day in and day out is when this is your plan and it's the same plan every day. It really helps you stay in your routine and stay in that, that same mindset, not drift away from it. Because as hitters, our job is to do our our job 
And if we try to do more than that, then that's where that's when we're going to struggle. When we try to do too much or we're having selfish at bats, things like that. And the Royals just really drive home that you need to do your job every day because when you do your job right, it makes the next guy, it makes his job easier. And I think that that's something that they do. The Royals do a really good job at is just focusing on that simple process and passing it on to the next guy. Because that's when you can play selfless baseball, when you can have selfless at-bats, that's just when everybody starts rolling. And the Royals do a really good job of instilling that. You you talk about you know instilling an approach and instilling um, – I, I do think process is a great word. I know it gets a little overused nowadays where it's trust the process, trust the process. But I really do think you know there's something to that. Uh, Vinny, your sophomore year at Old Dominion – where did you get hurt your sophomore year? You only had half the at bats you did your freshman junior years. Yeah, I had a I had a lingering back issue that uh, kept me out for most of it. I probably should have stopped playing before I did, but I didn't think it was as bad as it was. It wasn't a tear. I didn't have surgery or anything, but it's probably something I should have given some more time to rest, um, which is why I only had half the number of at bats. Gotcha. So you talk about process then. What was that process like going from, you know, as a freshman at Old Dominion, an 870 OPS, 321 batting average, really, really hit well as a freshman in your first go-round in college ball. Sophomore year, come out, get hurt, probably should have not been playing as much as you did. Um, roll that into a junior season where you start off slow. Uh, what's that mindset like? Because I, I'm sure that the one thing that you that wants to set in is panic and and you don't want that to happen as a, a junior your team's counting on you to be the first baseman so what's that process like going through an injured sophomore year now you're draft eligible and you're off to a, you didn't get off to the start you wanted to what does that process look like uh i think the word i would use is insecurity and so just a little backstory on my sophomore year so i i got hurt I sat out the rest of the year i still had my invite to go play in the cape cod league that summer so I had gotten cleared about a week before that, went up there, played three games, back injury came back. So shut it down. I was out in, from June to the end of October for the most part, um, just rehabbing basically and just trying to get back to being myself. And then that's also you go into a new season where my sophomore year, I think we won 15 games and it was a lot of roster turnover. And now I'm looked at as one of the older guys on the team, but I haven't done anything in a year and everybody knows it. And I'm trying to be a leader on a team where really no one respects my baseball ability. So I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to get back to playing, to get back to playing well and to being healthy for the team. And then we get to the season and I can't hit anything. Uh, and I think I was being selfish about that. And I think I put a lot of, I put a lot of, unneeded pressure on myself and I felt really insecure about am I ever going to get back to where I was uh, baseball wise and then it took a lot of a lot of deep conversations with people to be like look like I just need to get back to being myself and having good at bats hitting the ball hard focusing on what I need to do every day and then all of a sudden it clicked and then from the second half of the year I was able to not even focus on myself in terms of what I was doing in, in results. It was just, what can I do to help this team be better today? What can I do to help this team win? And I think that's one thing that I started to do really well. And it carried over to 
to Burlington this summer where it was just like, what can we do to win today's game? That's the goal is just to win. Um, and I think that's just something that I learned through that process. And I was able to really develop where if I'm going to be insecure about things, I'm not going to play well. And I just need to have the confidence in myself that I just need to help the team win. And if I can try to accomplish that goal every day, then I'll be fine. So looking at, at your stats over your career from between college and pro, you had five home runs as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then last year between Old Dominion and Burlington, you hit 30. What adjustments did you make between when you you know first get to college ball and then last year? Because that's a significant spike in home runs and hitting with, you know, the BB core bats. Sometimes it can be a pain to try and, you know, lift the ball and get the ball out. So what, what were you able to do that made you so successful, you know, driving the ball and getting it out of the yard? I really can't answer that question because I don't have an answer. Uh, <laughs> when it was, I can even think about conversations I was having with my dad when I was like 10 years old. It was all about learning to hit and the power will come. So I always felt like if I just was a gap to gap guy when I was younger and I kept that same approach, then eventually one day home runs would come and somehow this year they did. So it's not like I'm in there just, trying to hit homers every time I'm at the plate. Every time I'm at the plate, I'm just trying to hit it hard. I don't really care where it goes. And it, something just clicked, and I plan on it staying that way. I mean, it it's awesome, but I don't have an answer for you. There's no big adjustment that I made to, to get the ball more in the air. I mean, maybe that was the focus is just try to hit higher line drives, but I'm not trying to – I'm not trying to hit the ball straight up in the air. I'm just trying to hit it hard on a line. And the way I always look at it is if I hit a homer, it's probably because I missed and I was a little bit under the ball. Um, so I I really don't have anything good to offer there. No worries. That's that's funny. My One of my hitting coaches growing up always said home runs are accidents. So sometimes you just run into them, but you ran into 30. So obviously that's no accident. <laughs> yeah, I guess. All right, just Or I'm just not as good as people might think, and I miss a lot, and I just miss under the ball. Hey, hey don't, sell, don't sell yourself short here, man. All right, so going into 2020, what have you been working on this offseason? Uh, is there anything to, you know, to maybe sustain that level of power or anything like that? What have, what have you been doing uh, these last couple of months heading into spring training? <laughs> I'm in the weight room. I'm in the cage. I'm on the field. Nothing's really revolutionary that I'm doing. I'm just doing the same routines that I normally do. Um, I've got my facility in Nashville that I work out in with a bunch of great guys out there that push me to get better every day. And, and I'm back home now. I'm getting ready to go to spring training. So I'm more on the field now uh, with the cleats on trying to get more in baseball shape so I can get out there. I'm seeing some live pitching and there's nothing really new there. I'm just preparing as I always would. I know that might be weird because it's going into my first full season, but I don't really know what to expect. So I don't really know what to exactly train for. So I'm just trying to get my swing as good as it can be, trying to be the best fielder I can be. I'm trying to get faster. That doesn't normally work. Um, no matter what I do, I can't seem to get faster. So that always sucks. But and. I'm saying that as a joke because I'm unbelievably slow. So uh, I think somebody told me I'm one of the top five slowest guys in the Royals organization. So that's tough. So hopefully this year I can make it into the top 10 list instead of the top five of the slowest. So I guess that's the goal going into this season is to try to get a little bit faster. 
not a single stolen base between three years at Old Dominion and one year in the Royals organization now. You play in an organization that wants their guys to run wild. You have to get a stolen base in 2020. If we if we have you back on the podcast next winter before you go back to spring training and you don't have a single stolen base, there's probably there's gonna have to be some kind of a a, a bet, some kind of a deal, a, a punishment here. We gotta we gotta get one in 2020, Vinny. You're gonna t- have to talk to whoever my manager is this upcoming year because <laughs> uh, this past year I had a very very big red light from uh, from Chris Winchburg <laughs> at third base. I was not allowed to steal ever. I had one attempt and it was hit foul, so it doesn't even count. And in college, I did have one attempt and I got thrown out because it, well, I thought it was a hit and run. And I looked back and stopped running and then got hosed at second base. But my freshman year over the summer in Charlottesville, where I played summer ball, I had two attempts. So in the past four years, I have two stolen bases, not to brag. Hey, man, here's the thing. If Billy Butler can get a stolen base, I know that you can get a stolen base. Like, it, it, I know that it can happen. Yeah, it, one day. One, it's going to have to be where it's a first and second situation, and the guy takes off, and I, you know, I'm, I'm locked into him at second base, and I just take the bag. First and third, yeah, there's, there's – there's plenty of situations where I can take it, but if I do ever take a stolen base, I might have to take second base and bring it home with me that night. <laughs> what was the name of the minor league manager who carried second base out of the outfield with him? Was that a Lloyd McClendon? Was it Lloyd McClendon? When he yeah he he just took the base and left. I think that was when he yeah. was managing the Pirates. Oh, that may be. I feel like. Maybe I never knew his name before, and that's why Lloyd McClendon doesn't sound right. But if Vinny, if you still second base, take the base and walk out of center field with it, um, I may owe you a case of Dr. Peppers or something because you would then be my hero. <laughs> if I ever do that, oh, man, I would get in so much trouble from so <laughs> people. I would just – if I ever do steal a base, I'll probably just be the quietest one on the field because I know that some – if I steal a base, something's wrong. Something is wrong somewhere. <laughs> And we'll just, you know, hey, maybe one day. Well, so one of the questions I was going to ask you next is, as a first baseman, do you play other positions? I'm going to guess that's a hard no. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a pretty hard no. I played left field (laughs) one inning um, my freshman year in an inner squad in the fall, and I missed the ball in left field. So that was my last appearance out there. But. But I do have an outfielder's glove, so so you never know. I can show the athleticism and the agility out there if need be. And I'm just waiting for that opportunity to happen. But I'm very, very happy at first base. That is where I've played my whole life. I've never really played anywhere else, and I'm very happy to be over there. you got to be careful carrying extra gloves in your bag. My freshman year of high school, I was playing in the outfield, and I, I accidentally carried a first baseman's mitt to school with me that day. And I never really played first base. I mean, I, I played it, but never on purpose. And so the coach of the high school team I played for said, um, called into the outfit, said, Duvall, do you play first base? Because like you, I was slower than every single other person on the field. And I was like, no. He's like, you got a first base? Fit. I said, no. So I played first base for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's probably a good reason for me to not carry my left-handed catcher's glove around. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, more than stealing a base, I need to see Vinny Pasquantino behind the plate. I did catch one inning of Legion ball in high school, uh, um, and the umpire got mad and said that we were disrespecting the game of baseball, so I stopped catching after that inning. <laughs> oh, that's he was awesome. mad at you? He got mad, and I was framing pitches way too much, too. So <laughs> he, he was just, just, just wrong day, wrong time. I will say I was at the hey, and the American Legion would they have a wood bat tournament in Kansas City every year. It's a huge tournament. It used to get you know fifty to seventy teams. It'd just be a huge deal for American Legion baseball. And there was a team from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. There they were coming off. Um, I think they won the Legion World Series in like two thousand and nine, two thousand eight, maybe. And they so they came down like two thousand ten, two thousand eleven to this tournament. And the catcher was left-handed, but he was throwing down on like 1.9, 1.95 pop times. And so there's scouts everywhere in the stands. And I, I still remember that because I didn't understand what was wrong at the time because I wasn't paying too much attention. And then one of them said, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically like, what the hell do you do with that? Because he was probably the best high school catcher I've ever seen. And he was left-handed. Um, and the scouts' reaction is to that were um comical at worst yeah yeah i can only imagine how that would go especially if he's the best one on the field but i guess hey man you got a first baseman's glove because that's where you're going to end up or if he's a good athlete hey we'll just throw you out in center field <laughs> this this has been awesome and i don't want this i don't want this conversation to stop we do need to get to an ad break we'll real quick and we'll be right back after word from a sponsor all right, we're back with Vinny Pasquantino. This has been fantastic. Right before we went to break, we were, we started just shooting the ball, and it's been awesome. Vinny, I got to ask you a question real quick, just about ba- just baseball in general. Um, if there is any pitcher in baseball history that you if just stand in the box and face some, you know, any pitcher from baseball history, who would you want to face? I think I'd want to face Will Myers. I think that was his name, Mike Myers. He was a sidearm left-handed pitcher that pitched for the Yankees and the Red Sox, I think. And I watched Big Poppy take him yard one time. He he threw like 90 from his ankles, basically. And I just want to see that because that just feels unbelievable. And I know most guys say Nolan Ryan, which would be awesome, too, to see if he actually threw as hard as everybody says he does. But I think it would just be interesting to face a guy who throws from such a low angle from the left side but uh there they have this virtual reality thing now where you can sit in the box and face major league pitchers um and i did a little bit of it this offseason a little bit i did it every day this offseason but so you can kind of get a feel for it in that in that system Okay, were there any like was it just like seeing like a major league fastball or was it like a the, like the pitch mix of like Max Scherzer or Walker Bueller, whoever. Yeah, it was like, the it was it, exactly. it was the pitch mix, and you could um, there was no results, so you, it wasn't like you swung and you, you saw where the ball went. It was like you clicked the trigger, and on you were trying to do fastball timing or something like that. But if you threw a slider and you clicked the button, it would tell you if you were wrong and everything. But it was cool; you could face pretty much everybody, um, and they even have some minor leaguers in there. But I always sent uh, my roommate this summer was Jake Means and his brother pitches for the Orioles so I would hit off his brother and send him videos of me hitting off of his brother which I thought was a pretty cool thing <laughs> that's great 
Uh, that's awesome. And that's such a unique answer when because like you said, when you think of you know baseball history, it's Nolan Ryan, it's Randy Johnson, it's Pedro, it's Koufax, it's you know even like Walter Johnson or whoever. So here, just you know, some just submarine lefty is really interesting. And I'm sure as a lefty, that's got to be an uncomfy at bat. Oh, it's terrible. I don't like, even I don't know if the if you ever talk to a left-handed hitter that says Randy Johnson, let me know who they are, are because that would be terrifying. <laughs> that would be terrifying. Throwing a hundred plus from behind you essentially oh that's and he doesn't know what's going not, for the record that's not comfortable bat for anybody yeah, yeah not <laughs> that's not just left, that's not discriminating not against lefties people. for sure yeah with the big mustache too and he's so tall it feels like he's throwing from oh man that just doesn't sound fun i was in high school once and there's a kid that pitched against us that they're like 92 and it was the most terrifying thing i've ever seen in my life so to see a lefty thrown like that or or a righty then for me at 102. I don't know if I want any part of anything to do with any of that. Right. Um, also, just to save myself here a little bit, I'm not scared of any pitcher. I'm just being realistic about what would happen <laughs> if I faced Randy Johnson. It would be in the back of my mind that he might hit me in the face with 102, and I don't even see it coming. But no, I wouldn't be scared to face him. It would just be in my head a little bit. Hey, I, you'd be, I'd be a little scared. I mean, I, I, I would be. So, I, I think. <laughs> no judgment here. it's randy johnson i think you can admit a little fear there yeah well, i know i'm gonna hear about that one there's a certain certain person who listens to things that i talk in that likes to roast me about things that i say on podcasts and i'm waiting for that text message when this thing comes out because i know i'm gonna get it based off of that conversation well if you tell us who it is we can make sure they get it <laughs> no he knows who he is and i'm waiting for that <laughs> message to come through perfect yeah yeah, Alex, you were talking about seeing 92. I think I went to a really, really small high school and played in a really small league, played just like a bunch of farm towns in like northern, northeast Kansas. The fastest I ever saw was like maybe, dude, through like 85 maybe. And I was a horrendous hitter. Like you could tell me what pitch you were going to throw and the location. I'd probably still swing and miss. And this dude, like I, he had me 0-2. I knew he was going to throw another fastball by me. And dude broke off a freaking knuckleball. I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? And it was perfect, too. I was like, this is stupid. Hitting is stupid. Vinny, I got to ask. So I don't want to get terribly political and dive down the um, pay minor league baseball card all night because we could talk about that all night. But one of my favorite stories to hear from guys we interview is like minor league horror stories. So like the bus breaks down in Laredo, Texas at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, I got a good one for you on that subject. Great. I cannot. Wait. So we played one in terms of horror stories. We were very lucky this summer. Um, not too much stuff happened, but we played the 17 inning game against the Yankees in game three of the semifinals. We won the game. The hurricane was coming through in the next week or so. So they moved up the, uh, the championship series. So it was going to be us and the Johnson city Cardinals matched up in the championship. And we were supposed to have a day off after the 17 17- and in game but instead we had to go from pulaski virginia to johnson city north johnson city tennessee johnson city tennessee and play the next night we win we leave there around 11 i think so we're not supposed to get home till 3 or 4 a.m bus breaks down around 2 30 in the morning um we only had one movie and so it just played four or five times because we'd rather have the movie playing than nothing at all. So shout out to whoever was supposed to bring the movies that time. 
because we didn't have anything to watch. But we get shut down on the highway for 30, 45 minutes before – I don't know how they fixed it, but they fixed it. We don't get home until 5 or 6 a.m. and have to play that night and the next night in the championship um, – in the final two games of the championship. Now, if we could have just won game two, then we wouldn't have had to worry about playing the next day too. But we decided to lose the following two games and lose the championship before we all went home. So that was our little horror story. Just the fact that we were played the played pretty much a six-hour game. I think that's how long it was, something like that. Drove three hours through the night, played the next night, won the game. Driving home in the middle of the night on a four-and-a-half-hour drive, break down in the middle of the night, get back super late, and then we're up again the next day playing that night. But honestly, there's nothing I'd rather do because <laughs> thinking about it, that was pretty awesome that we got to experience that. Oh, what was the movie? It was old school. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. So not the worst movie to have to watch four or five times over in a row. You can you can still get laughs over and over again through that movie. I was gonna feel bad for you, but if the movie's old school and that story becomes uh, um, way less of a pity party. Yeah. Well, that that's funny because I have multiple friends that have nicknames based off of that movie. So it was fun to watch that movie, knowing that there's characters that I have friends who I call because of that movie. All right, so Vinny, I got to ask you about this real quick. So your time in Burlington last week, we had the now former general manager of the Burlington Royals, Mikey Morrison on here talking about how important minor league baseball is in that community. And he spoke glowingly about you and what you were able to do in that community, building relationships with, you know, families and, you know, signing autographs for kids and, you know, taking pictures and all that stuff. How important was it for you to invest yourself in the community for the, just the few months that you were in town there? Cause it seems like baseball is extremely important to that town. And, you know, it sucks that they're on the chopping block for uh, this, you know, kind of that minor league hit list, if you want to call it that of the teams that uh, could have be disaffiliated after this season. How important was that for you? I think for the American player, and I'm saying this because anybody who was born and raised in the United States grew up with minor league baseball in some way, shape, or form. I think that is the most important thing that we do is ingrain ourselves into the community. And I think the Latin players do a great job of doing that as well. And I think like that's more of our job, I think, than it is to play on the field. because. Who cares what we do on the field if there's no one there to watch? And the people who put in work at Burlington Athletic Stadium were some of the greatest people I've ever worked with or been around in my life. It even starts at the hotel. The the two ladies that worked in the front at the front desk of the hotel were awesome. They were always there greeting us in the morning when we would go to breakfast. Then there was a the head grounds crew man. He had a son named Chandler who him and I developed a, a relationship very fast. And it, it became the whole family where it was Chandler, who's I want to say he's five or six. If I got his age wrong, I apologize a lot. I am sorry for not knowing his dad, his mom, his grandparents would come to the games and they said it was because of me. And I'm not saying that in a bragging way. I'm saying it in, in a way that. I really tried to ingrain myself into that community as I would in the community that I'm from because I think it's important to do so because I remember when I was a kid growing up, I remember how the Richmond the Richmond Braves, who were the Braves AA or AAA at the time, I remember how they acted 
And I remember the community events that they did. I remember going to games and seeing them interact with players and fans and everybody. And then now it's the double-A team for the Giants, the Flying Squirrels. And I remember going to their opening night game and seeing how minor league baseball does things. And I grew up with that. Like, I grew up with the diamond being 30 minutes from my house and being able to go to a game pretty much whenever I wanted. And I was lucky to do so. But I just, I think as a minor league player and as a major league player, we all do is for the fans. It's for the community. It's for the people who take their time to either work in baseball or watch baseball, go to games, whatever. Like, that's the most important thing that we do. Because if those people go away, so do hard jobs, essentially. So if we don't do a good job of treating the people who support and care about us, then we're not doing a good job with anything that we do. Well, that was about as immaculate as that answer could have been. Absolutely. My goodness. I just, I just, like, I just feel very strongly about how people treat other people in terms of um, I'm really lucky to be able to do what I love to do on a nightly basis. And I don't take that lightly. Um, I, I try to do whatever I can, wherever I am to make an impact on somebody. And that's not for selfish reasons to make myself feel better about making an impact, but it's, it's about what can I do to help the next person. And then for them, I'm not trying to just help one person. I'm trying to help one person be able to help one person. And that person helps another person because somebody helped me at one point in my life. Like, to me, you can call it being a leader. I just call it being a normal person. But if we're able to affect somebody to be able to affect another person, that's what leadership's all about. And that's what that's what I think we should all strive to be as people. And the Royals take that really seriously, which is why I'm grateful to be in this organization, because they let us do that in our communities that our teams are in. And I'm not saying other organizations don't do that. I just know what the Royals do, and I really believe in in the leadership that they bring to us from the top down. Yeah, the, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, like, I, I mean this with complete sincerity. I hope you make it, dude. I, I hope you get to Kansas city because I think you are the type of guy that baseball needs and they need on the highest stage, you know, just that type of high character stand-up guy. And you mean what you say and you say what you mean. Like it, it's so key to have guys like that, not only in the organization, but just as ambassadors for the game. And I'm, I'm so impressed with how you talked about, you know, that community and, you know, just talking to you for like 45 minutes, you know, we have right now. I'm, I'm super happy to get to know you already. Like this is, this is super cool. Like I'm sorry for being sentimental and getting on a soapbox, but like baseball needs people like you. And I think that's so freaking cool, man. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, and I think, it's cool that we can get sincere with each other, even though we don't really know each other that well. I think that's what building relationships is all about. And I think, I think this is, I've been given an opportunity through the Royals, through professional baseball to kind of spread how I feel about things. I don't have a huge social media presence. I don't, I don't think that's something I'm fantastic at, but what I believe in is speaking to people and trying to make a difference. And that's from the people who've kind of shaped who I am am today and I don't have anything figured out. I don't know anything about anything, but I do know how I feel and what my beliefs are. And when I'm able to have a have a conversation like this, I feel like it's important that I say some of those things because I'm giving I've been given this opportunity somehow. I'm very blessed and you know, it's something that I'm passionate about. So it's something I I'm glad that we're able to talk about. Oh, you can go ahead, Alex, if you had anything. <laughs> 
No, no, I don't specifically. I was uh, kind of enamored by that response. I was, um, whatever I was going to talk about next, I have totally lost. That was a um, very, uh, not just well thought out, but a very impressive answer. And I think, I think that's one thing that makes the Royals so easy to root for, right? And you, you talk about, I saw some Astros fans that were on Twitter recently talking about, you know, how disappointed they were in their team. And um, some Red Sox fans that were maybe, um, uh, reflecting that sentiment with Alex Cora. And it does, you know, sometimes I do get a little, I don't know what the word is. I, I, I get frustrated with the Royals a little bit because sometimes I feel like they place a little too much value on the people that are in the organization and maybe not as much as um, the, the, what the product that is on the field and I think it's easy as fans to lose the fact that obviously there's a bigger picture than the wins and the losses, but that these are people impacting communities and going out there and building relationships and, and their impact off the field to a lot of people is just as, just as or more important than it is their impact on the field. And uh, if anything, I think this was a good reminder of that because I do get a little critical sometimes that maybe our Hearts are in the right place, but there's a there's a way to combine the two things. Um, but I think tonight was a good reminder, you know, for me specifically, but hopefully for those of you listening, that um, baseball is about more than you know the wins and losses. And the when you when you do put the right people in the right places, there's there's a huge impact that can be made off the field as well as on. Well, I think it's um, not to cut you off or anything, but you should. I think you should be critical of things like that because that's what I, I'm going to call you a fan. I know that you're more than a fan than you write, but that's what fans should do. You should be critical if the team isn't winning or if the team doesn't look like they're trying to win because at the end of the day, like that's what we're supposed to do is go out there and win. But what's nice about the Royals is they're trying to figure out a way to do that while also putting the best possible people in those situations. Cause at the end of the day, talent, like pure talent and results is going to get you there. But I don't think that's what necessarily helps you stay there with that organization. If you know what I mean? Like the Royals are looking for a specific type of player and a specific type of person too. And which I really like, but we're supposed to go out there and win. That's, that's literally what we were, we are supposed to do. So I think it's very fair for fans to be critical of that. And it's also fair for me as a person that's, you know, new to the organization to feel both ways that, yes, I need to go out there and win, but I also need to be a good person. And then hopefully those two can combine at some point. And that's where you have the magical runs like 2014 and 15, because I remember not even as a Royals fan rooting for the Royals because it was like, this is awesome. These are, you know, these are homegrown dudes with a few trades in there, but you can tell that they're genuine people. And obviously if, a team is going to choose winning over if you had to choose between, are you going to win with, and I'm not saying any teams or anything, but if you could choose to win versus choose to not win, but have really good people, you're going to choose to win because that's the business side of baseball. But if you can somehow do both, that's when you're going to get your golden age of organizations. And hopefully, hopefully maybe the Royals can do that. And hopefully maybe I can be a part of that somehow. And you know, there's a business side to baseball, but there's also a human side of it, which I really like about it. 
Absolutely. I think that's what made the run so special in 2014, 2015. And I think that's, so you bring that up. I think it's a good point is that I think Royals fans were so overly attached to that team because of the people, Eric Hosmer, you know, buying drinks at the bar um, in the middle of a playoff run, right? Like that's, that, I think that's something that is unique to the Midwest, unique to maybe parts of the Southeast that, I've been to New York City. Um, I've been I've been to big cities all around the, the world, and one thing you just don't get a lot of outside the Midwest or Midwestern people is is that that sense of attachment, a sense of family across an entire community. And so, mm-hmm. when Eric Hosmer and Mike Mustakis grabbed that Midwest mentality, one from California, one from Florida, and just kind of ran with it, it was really cool to see the community attached to the team, the players. I'm sure it's happened in other places. The Royals have just, up to that point, had never been good enough for it to matter. For me as a little kid growing up as a fan. But I think that was something that was really special that the Royals were able to do. Um, And I really can't imagine that run being any different than it was just because of how attached I think everybody was. I mean, you saw the parade. Right, the the Chiefs parade had a lot of people there, and and I know the weather was, and I'm not trying to compare the parades, but for where baseball was before 2013, and the number, the sheer number of people that showed up to that parade for the Royals, um, was really cool to see how Dayton Moore was able to build that sense of community between the team and the fans, um, and it's pretty clear, Vinny, that you know the the mission is still the same, and this next crop of guys coming through. We've talked to a lot of you. Nick Heath is one of the more genuine people we've ever talked to. Um, this interview has been absolutely fantastic. And I know this is the first time I'm, you know, either of us have talked to each other uh, in person. Um, but, but just the building of genuine people and extremely talented baseball players, I think, is one, one thing that, that sets the Royals um, organization up there with the elite franchises, no matter how you look at them. Right. You should uh... – you should hear what Mike Sweeney has to say about the organization. He is about as firm in his belief that this is the greatest sports franchise in the world that I've ever heard somebody talk about. Um, <laughs> like that is his firm belief. And when he says it, I'm right there behind him. Um, obviously, I'm in my going into my first full year, so I'm not really going to speak on that, that from a personal side because I don't really know yet. I'm going to probably wait, hopefully, 25 years before I talk about it, about an organization being the greatest of all time, because you never know, maybe I'll get traded or released or whatever. So it's not my place to speak on that. But when Mike Sweeney talks about the Royals being the greatest organization, sports organization on the face of this earth, I got to believe him. I got to be right there with him because he's about as passionate about it as I've ever seen anybody about anything. That's awesome. Mike Sweeney was a a good dude. So uh, I want to shift back to kind of the lighter side of things real quick. I think we got really sentimental there, and it was awesome. That was some of the best conversation I've ever had on a podcast, and I'm not joking. Um, on, I'm looking at your Twitter real quick, and on there, uh, it, in your bio, it says, I really only use Twitter to tweet about the New York Jets. So first of all, my, my sincerest apologies uh, for being a New York Jets fan. Second of all, now that you are a part of the Royals organization, 
are you going to pledge any sort of allegiance to Patrick Levon Mahomes <laughs> and the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I think I have to, right? I mean, basically, I got drafted to the team, and then they won their sister team won the Super Bowl. So not to put any blame on myself there, but it just so happened that the year I got drafted, they won the Super Bowl. So I think they have to – I mean, I think I have to be – on that bandwagon and no one can really blame me no one can blame me at all that was one of the first things i said when i got drafted by the rose i was like well i guess i can be a chiefs fan now and i can just join that bandwagon and ride it all the way and yep so i'm 100 percent a chiefs fan i had a chiefs jersey a Dwayne bowie jersey i believe Dwayne bow oh Dwayne Bo. throwback alex uh, <laughs> did he just I say Dwayne bowie yeah, he said sorry. Dwayne Bowie. Sorry about that, Dwayne Bowie jersey. <laughs> uh, that was back in high school. So I have. Where that did you get a Dwayne so, Bowie jersey? So, at a thrift store, uh, they had Wacky <laughs> Wednesdays where you could get everything for fifty cents, and they had a football jersey in there, and it just happened to be in, I believe, it was number eighty-seven, Dwayne Bowie red Chiefs jersey. So I was a Chiefs fan a while ago, and so the Jets have a place in my heart. And now so do the Chiefs. So it's great that that I'm a Super Bowl winning fan, basically. Um, so that's very exciting. But Nothing you know. says bandwagon Chiefs fan like an 87 Dwayne Bowie jersey. <laughs> that's right. No one, no one can say anything if I'm wearing that jersey. <laughs> I love it. That might be – I can't remember what we were talking with Nick about. We were talking about zombies, I think. That's what we're talking about playing Call of Duty Zombies. And he, he gave a pretty funny response. But that might be the second funniest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. They had a because Dwayne, by the way, I don't I don't mean to keep hammering about the Dwayne Bowie jersey. He's number eighty two, so eighty two, my bad. There you go. So the fact that you found a fifty cent Dwayne Bowie that dude went to a Pro Bowl and you bought his jersey for fifty cents. That is that was very Dwayne Bowie of him. No. Uh, Alex, we, we remember Dwayne Bowe and his uh, his career, um, but he also had Matt Castle as his quarterback, and like Brody Croyle, like put Patrick Levon Mahomes with him, and I think we see a different Dwayne Bowe for the record. So I got yeah. a question: um, the Jets play at the Chiefs next year, so I got to figure that one out. That's going to be a tough one. So I don't really know what my question was there, but. <laughs> I don't know. Are you asking us who you should root for? Because you know our answer. Uh, I'm going to go and to that you, game. And I'm going to that game in some way, shape, or form as long as I can. And maybe I'll find a way to get one of those half jerseys, but then bring two jerseys with me at Chiefs and Jets, and whoever wins, just throw that one on. Whoever wins? Did you really just say that? Hey, well, yeah. You never know. Yeah, football's a game. I think I do. Win. I, feel like, I feel like I know the answer to that one already. I guess we'll just we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. Hey, if you wear the Dwayne Bowie number eighty seven jersey, I will make sure you don't pay for beverages during the game. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could find it and then realize it was number eighty two, and then maybe I'll learn how to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see who wins. That's cute. I love yeah. Jets fans. You guys are so you guys are so passionate about your Jets. Yep. I think the last time the Jets were good may have been Joe Namath. Uh, no, Mark Sanchez went through a good run there. Oh, but yeah, and then he had the butt, and then the butt fumble happened, which just epitomizes that whole 
Not enough people talk about that he was pushed by his own lineman into that situation. And his lineman was getting pushed by the defender. But I remember exactly where I was when that happened. It was Thanksgiving Day, and I was at my grandparents' house laying on a bed watching that game. And that happened, and I just turned the TV off. I knew it was over at that point. (laughs) That, That dynasty was over of going to two straight AFC championships. Dynasty. Wow. Wow, that's strong. Yep, dynasty. Two-year dynasty. Oof. Two-year dynasty, no Super Bowls. Yep. Can't, I don't know what that's like. I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan. I don't, I don't know what it's like to not win Super Bowls anymore. Hey, I'm a Chiefs fan too. Me either. I'm going to bring that to the <laughs> Jets-Chiefs Jets, AFC Championship 2021. Yeah, 2021. I, I, th- I think you got to get Adam Gase out of there before you start talking about AFC championships. Hey, you know, if that's who they think is going to lead them to championships, I won't. I have no ill will towards it if that's what they think is best. Are you bought in on Sam Darnold? <laughs> I'm bought in on everybody on that team. I will not say a bad thing about anybody on that team um, because, you know, if that's who they think is going to win them football games, I'm riding. I'm a diehard fan. So whatever. Whatever they think is best, I'm riding with them. So bringing you back to to baseball, who was your favorite player growing up? Evan Longoria. Yes. Okay. That's a great answer. That is a great answer. That is a great answer. He was, what year did he debut? It had to have been close to what, 06, 07? Yeah, I think he debuted the year after he got drafted. Did he really? I think so. He was, I want to say he was one of the first ever Rays drafted too, or something like that. Yeah, it was, who, oh man, who was the first pick? He, uh, it wasn't Tim Beckham wasn't their first pick, was it? I don't know. Well, maybe he wasn't because he's younger than Ryan Zimmerman, I think, and he was the first ever Nats pick. Maybe I'm thinking of Ryan Zimmerman, the guy who de- – because he debuted the – Yeah, you're thinking of Zim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he so Longoria got drafted in 06 and he made his debut in 08. Oh, okay. But I just he remember him hitting that. Um, that. Yeah, he, he broke camp in 08. Mm. He, I remember. I remember exactly where I was when he hit that homer to keep the Red Sox out of the playoffs in whatever year it was. Um, that was maybe a foot over that little fence right down the left field line in Tampa. Oh, that's right. Because he I hit it. About that. Yeah, that was the end of 20. What, what year was that? Because that year was insane for baseball. I can't remember what year that was. Is that 12? It may have been, but I just remember that they were playing the Yankees. And it was kind of, it almost felt like the Yankees let them win the game. So the Red Sox didn't get in the playoffs because they came back. That was a great game. Yeah. My parents let me stay up later to watch that game because it, (laughs) because we're, I used to be a Yankees fan. um, So that was a big deal of keeping the Red Sox of keeping the Red Sox out of the playoffs. That's right. You're only 21, aren't you? So you were. 22. I, I wish I was 21, but 20. You just recently turned 22? In October, yeah. Oh, uh, so at the end of the season. Okay. I was just, I was, I just had your page pulled up and you said you were in your 21 season last year. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense that you have turned 22 since then. But so you were, so you were still a teenager, if not even a teenager, when Longoria hit that home run. Yep. Yep. Joel, uh, we got to find some I, older people to interview, man. We got players <laughs> that were tykes when Evan Longoria debuted. T- to be fair, I'm 23, so I'm not much older. Oh, well, I am, so thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I can't help you out there, Alex. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, 
We'll get Nick back on the podcast. I think he's older than me. He might be the only person we've interviewed that's older than me, but we'll get him back on here so I can feel better about myself. Well, you guys just interviewed – what did you say? You interviewed Coach Saylor, right? So oh, he's probably meant, older. Yeah, I yeah. players, but yeah. Because uh, we, we got Brad Keller last week, and he's – I'm older than Brad Keller, too. Hour. So that's how that's how my life's going. <laughs> how would you like to be Brad Keller? Freaking Rule 5 pick. All of a sudden, the ace, he's like the ace of the staff the year he gets taken from the Rule 5 draft. I know yeah, they talk he hasn't been the like statistically he probably hasn't been the best rule five pick in the last twenty years or so. But in terms of climb, right? Because Joaquin Soria wasn't he known about and just kind of left unprotected because he was a reliever. Like I feel like Joaquin Soria being a rule five pick was no surprise. Like I feel like he was supposed to be picked. Brad Keller went from a lot of teams not even looking at him at the rule five draft to the ace of the team in year one. Like, I don't know that any other players made that climb. And I don't want to get too far off subject there. It's just something that popped into my head since you brought him up. But that's kind of crazy. Anyway, sorry. I don't know if you're apologizing to me. It's okay. (laughs) Just anybody listening who had to listen to me talk about Brad Keller for a second. All right, Vinny, this has been awesome. Seriously, one of the best interviews I've ever done. This has been a ton of fun. We, we always say at the end, like, this won't be the last time. I know this will not be the last time that we have you on here. Um, I hope that we can go to that Chiefs-Jets game because I will make the trip off from Oklahoma for that one if you're going to be there. So if it's after the season, we'll, we'll try and make that, make that happen. Yeah, maybe. But before we get you out. Maybe for you guys, um, it'll be late in the season, so the Chiefs won't even care about the game because they'll probably be like 13-0 and or something, and then the Jets will be like, <laughs> 12 and one. So it'll just be a crazy, <laughs> crazy good game or something like that. Um, so that'd be nice. Oh, Vinny, one question I wanted to ask you before you get off here. Um, I saw you engage in a Twitter conversation about the fastest player in the org between Nikki oh, and yeah, Isaiah yeah. Henry. Who's faster? <laughs> I mean, Heath is the fastest person I've ever personally seen. Um, I got in that argument to ask why no one has tagged me about that race, but I don't want to be in the race. I'll just be there timing or watching, filming, whatever they need. Um, those dudes can fly. Um, Isaiah's bigger than Heath. Kayvon, uh, Kayvon's the dark horse in this race because he was supposed to be a track star. And I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking KJ Kayvon Jackson in that race for sure. Heath will probably kill me for saying that. But I'm taking Kayvon Jackson in a race all day. I don't know why Malcolm is in that conversation. Malcolm uh, is not in any of them. I feel like Malcolm was a was recruited to play another. We I interviewed him not on the podcast, but I did an interview with him this offseason. I thought I think he told me he was recruited to be a wide receiver in college as well. I'm pretty sure that dude is really athletic. What did he tell me? He was a dual sport athlete. Whatever. No, I'm pretty sure Malcolm isn't kidding. I think that kid can fly. He's too tall. It'd take him too too long to get going. Benny, Cage, pitchers are uh, athletes. Uh, yeah, pitchers are athletes. So are first basemen. It's the same. <laughs> ar- <laughs> That's not true. That's not no, no, not. And actually, I say that our first baseman in college was also he also was the quarterback in Goddard, Kansas. That kid was a freak of an athlete. Well, for being 
six four. He must have been six four two thirty. He can move too. So some first basemen are athletes. All pitchers are athletes. I know you've seen Bartolo Colon on the on the battle ropes. Well, it's hard to make an argument that he's not, not an athlete with the fact he was pitching into his mid forties in the major leagues. You got to be some sort of athlete for that. I'm saying. All right, Joel, get him out of here. We've, we've held. All right, hostage for too long. All right, we got one. We we got one last question. We ask it to everyone that we interview. If you could go back and watch one moment in baseball history, what would it be? So I thought about this. you're there live in person. I've asked what a lot watching? of people about this because I wasn't sure, uh, um, and I know the obvious answers. So I want to stick away from the obvious answers, not because they're not good answers, but because I want to have some sort of my own flair to them. So I think I want to see Babe Ruth call a shot and do it. Uh, um, that might be an obvious answer. I don't know. I just think it would be sweet to see a guy go up there, point to the pitcher where he's going to hit the ball and just be like, yep, I'm going to do it. doesn't matter what you do. So that's what I'm going with. Babe Ruth calling a shot and actually doing it. I'm going to put a twist on that. I want to go back. I want to see the same play, but I want to see the pitcher during that. Because if you're a pitcher and the hitter points beyond center field, you don't throw the pitch or you hit him with it. But the yeah. the last thing you do is throw it over the plate. Right. Well, okay. Also, if we go to this game, do we have to wear suit and, suits and ties? Because yeah, that's we, what fans wore to games back then. We should do that to the Chiefs game, anyways. Like, we, why don't people? Why don't more people do that? I mean, they did. The Royals have the dress of the nines game, the the salute to the Negro Leagues game. It's like a Sunday day game in May. Yes. And people actually show up, and, and I've wanted to go to that game for like six years. They've done it for six. Years. I've always never been able to go. I'm going to try and do it this year because I think it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that does sound really cool. People, I mean, they look so good. I will say, I went to, uh, my buddy went to school in Alabama. We went to a couple of football games, football ball, ball games, no, football games there with them a few times. And the people in Alabama, even the kids, when they go to the games, they dress up pretty good. I went down my sophomore year of college. I wore sweats and a t-shirt to the football game, and I was way underdressed. So there are still some parts of this country that still get dressed dressed up for sporting events but man you watch those old videos and they're in there they're, they are literally dressed to the nines for every game that was that's a different time yeah it's pretty cool i don't know if i could do that if i say you had season tickets to a baseball game i don't know if i'd want to wear a suit and tie every day but i guess there's people that have to do it for work so um i guess that's a thing <laughs> well you get to play professional baseball for a while so that i guess that's a pretty good job that's a pretty good gig yeah too. i cannot complain at all about that um pretty much pretty much when i was dreaming as a five-year-old kid one uh, back when i was that young it's pretty much what i was hoping would happen and somehow it has, it has happened um, so i can't be more happy with pretty much my entire life right now i, I love the game of baseball it didn't quite love me back but i still love baseball hey, but you're so, in it you know you're and covering I, it and <laughs> some would argue you're more important than i am so and i, I kind of agree with that argument in some ways all right, Vinny. Hey, before we get you out of here real quick, we'll do a quick social media plug. You don't even have 500 followers. we got to bump those numbers up a little bit. Where can everyone follow you? Uh, um, I think my Twitter name is VPasquantino. And I think my Instagram cool. name is Pasquantino. Those are rookie numbers. we got to pump those numbers up. Yeah, I, it's because I, uh, I deleted my Twitter a few years ago, and I had like – 2000 followers but that was just normal high school like just being in a big, big town so now i don't tweet as much as i used to so i don't have as many followers which 
normally that's okay because it keeps it uh it keeps it keeps my twitter what i want it to be if that makes sense but i guess if i get more followers that's fine i don't have to follow everybody so yeah go ahead and follow <laughs> me on twitter at v pasquantino you can see all my tweets about the jets <laughs> all right Vinny. this has been fantastic thank you so much for coming on like i said this will not be the last time and i'm sure we're gonna have you on again here yeah soon. just have me on when i steal my next base yes like if, if we see that you steal a base let or if we miss it let us know and we will get you on yeah. as soon as we can because that is a monumental yeah and i'll just talk about that the entire time the entire time i'll just talk about what i saw everything that i felt sliding <laughs> we could just get the everything about it fantastic man well thank you so much this has been awesome and we'll talk to you soon thank you for having me on